This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. This BFM Budget 2023 special is brought to you by Ma Singh. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. Today on the show, we're discussing the upcoming Budget 2023 that is set to be tabled on the 7th of October. And we'll be discussing what we would like to see allocated for our older adults, as well as how we could prepare for this ageing society that is inevitable uh, in our country. Older people in our society do live with multiple health risks or diseases, but, you know, in fact, their needs are more than just the sum of their health problems. But sadly, older adults aren't given priority in our healthcare system as whole individuals. Instead, they are shuttled around to receive fragmented care. And uh, similarly, you see that reflected in our health funding, where the needs of older people are so far only addressed through piecemeal allocations. So joining me on the show today, consultant geriatrician Dr. Terence Ong. I'll be asking him to share his wish list for the upcoming budget 2023. Um, you know, will older people finally have a specific allocation in the next national budget? And more importantly, what should that look like um, as a point of discussion? Dr. Terence, thank you so much for joining me today. And I think in order to frame our conversation, looking at older adults, perhaps we could start with a very, very big picture look at um, what is your philosophy or how do you look at the role and the place of older adults in our society? Thank you. Um, I, I must say, I don't have a philosophy per se, no particular individual ideology on the matter. Um, my outlook on it is one that's a bit more practical and a bit more pragmatic. Um, older adults represent the most needy group, most vulnerable group to any health issues, health problems. And since we're framing our uh, narrative around the upcoming budget, then certainly healthcare expenditure should always focus on the group that are the biggest users of it, the ones that are definitely going to require the largest proportion of healthcare expenditure. So I tend to approach it on a more pragmatic lens than any overarching ideology. And when you say that they are the most needy and vulnerable in society, um, what do you mean by that? What are their needs um, and what aspects of their healthcare expenditure um, should we really, or their, I guess, healthcare needs should we be looking at when we discuss expenditure and expenses later? Yeah, so, I mean, we read in the, in the news and it's quite widely reported in the media that, you know, Malaysia is an ageing nation and in the next couple of decades will be considered an aged nation. I mean, we've all... We've got the statistic to back that particular statement. But it's not just as simple as a numbers game. I think what we must never forget is just because they're getting bigger, the biggest problem is the complexity of their health needs. Okay, um, Older people, sadly, despite living longer, do not necessarily live longer in good health. Uh, the burden of non-communicable diseases uh, has been widely reported and they affect the majority of older people. Now, just being sadly older makes one more likely to uh, encounter, engage in healthcare services. So 
Uh, there have been a number of surveys and reports done locally looking at the healthcare burden in Malaysia, and almost all have had some contact with healthcare services. 75% of them have had the engagement with the public health service, which becomes even more important when we talk about a national budget with funding allocated to public health expenditure. So, and again, if you compare, say, an older person and a younger person, an older person will, say, spend more time in hospital, are more likely to be admitted, complexity of care goes up. So all in all, this adds up. So it's not just a matter of we being an aged nation. Sadly, it's going to be a lot of older people living with number of health difficulties. And this concept of a frailty and multimorbidity now come into the picture. And when we talk about um, non-communicable diseases and a lot of the chronic conditions that are where the risks increase with old age, um, we also acknowledge that prevention is a big part of that conversation. And um, is prevention uh, or at least mitigation of the risks a health expenditure issue as well? I think the, the, the short answer to the question is yes. So if we talk about prevention, we talk about primary prevention, so preventing things like diabetes or hypertension or problems with high cholesterol in later life, um, that, need, that requires what I call a life course approach because that the point of prevention doesn't happen in later life. It has to start from young age and all the way up to later life. So for many of the people I look after, uh, many have already missed the boat. Um, by the time they present to medical attention or they come into hospital, we are already seeing the impact of non-communicable diseases. They are already suffering, sadly, from complications of diabetes or poorly controlled diabetes. But I agree, that shouldn't take away the focus and the need to invest in primary prevention strategies because it is only by doing that in addition to better secondary prevention approaches, we can truly deliver a more robust health service. And historically, if we look at previous budgets and um, annual allocations for healthcare, uh, how have you seen the needs of older adults being addressed? So I think allocation of funds within the national budget to health has always left many clinicians and those involved in healthcare one thing. I think in recent months, we, we've had statements uh, from within the ministry itself. I think certainly our health minister, YB uh, Kyrie, has, has come up with a statement and saying that, you know what, our GDP allocation for health is um, a meagre 2.59%, which is way, way off uh, what many within the international community would expect to be appropriate which is about 5% of our GDP. And uh, we have had a number of medical bodies that's, that's come up pushing for this doubling of our national GDP allocation to health. So funding allocation for health isn't great to begin with. And then when we're trying to uh, divide the, 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 the cake, the pie, into smaller chunks because at the end of the day, it is a finite amount of resources. And the question of how much do older people get from it, um, it doesn't take a mathematician or a statistician to figure out that that chunk becomes very little. And uh, if, if we look at health 
first and foremost, uh, maybe last year's budget is a good example of how we saw the health allocation sort of worked its way down to the shop floor. And they also had budget expenditure allocated under different programs, different activities, which uh, cover things like what? health education, nutrition, family health, public health, and so forth. Now, I'm quite certain that some of it would include services for older people, but you can see that under these very broad themes, it is very hard to ring fence or to secure any committed allocation specifically for older people. And then we've had some allocations in terms of uh, medical treatment for it, of which uh, there are about what, 20, 30 different specialities that were explicitly listed, like obstetrics and gynecology, uh, orthopedics, neurology, dermatology. And again, yes, older people also present to some of these services, but without having some form of ring fence specific allocation for older people, then the concerns that we have within geriatric medicine, within clinicians and uh, health professionals that work with older people, we worry that some of the needs of the older people will get diluted amidst all the different competing interests that exist within orthopedics, dermatology, urology, rehab medicine and so forth. So when you talk about ring fencing, um, a specific allocation, would you want to see that come under geriatric medicine? Like you said, um, the way that other allocations come under specific medical programs, um, obstetrics as another example, right? Or do you think it's more appropriate um, that allocations for older adults be ring fenced uh, to include their broader social needs as well? Really good question. And I don't think there is an easy answer to this question. And the reason why I say that is if we look at the healthcare needs of the older person, they very much dissect through many different specialities. Uh, an older person that comes in with a fall may sustain an injury that presents to orthopedic services. And part of that may involve rehabilitation to help them back on their feet again. So you can start to see that the needs of the older person, they do dissect through different components of health, different specialities. And that's why it's not as easy a question to answer. Yes, we should ring fence it because it's not so straightforward. But mind you, there are certainly certain conditions that perhaps do appear within our services that do appear within geriatric medicine. And, and the one good example that I could think of is falls. Okay, So falls is a very common problem uh, in older people. One in five, one in six older people will report at least one fall in their lifetime. Where are the fall services? Where are the services that we need to invest in preventing falls or at least preventing the next fall that has led to the hospital admission. Something like that may struggle to find a place in existing health allocation. So yes, we do need to ring fence some within geriatric medicine, but to also highlight some of the needs that may exist within other specialities. So it has to be both, I think, would be the most sensible approach to this. All right. Some innovative thinking required there, isn't there? Indeed. 
I'm speaking to Dr. Terence Ong, consultant geriatrician, looking at his wish list for allocations for older adults in the upcoming budget 2023. What are the needs? Where are the gaps? And what he hopes to see. We'll continue this conversation when we come back from our break. So stay tuned to Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Stay tuned to BFM's Budget 2023 special, brought to you by Marsing. This BFM Budget 2023 special is brought to you by Ma Singh. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik, joining me on the show today, consultant geriatrician Dr. Terence Ong. We're looking ahead to the upcoming Budget 2023 that is due to be tabled in Parliament on the 7th of October. And Dr. Terence is hoping that there will be more um, specific uh, allocations for the needs of older people. We have not seen specific allocations being ring-fenced for the needs of our senior citizens or or older adults in our society. Um, We see their needs being addressed through um, the programs uh, under the healthcare allocations like nutrition, um, health education, family development. We see um, their needs perhaps being addressed in the allocations for medical programs like cancer, kidney services, which of course older people will avail of. But uh, older people, uh, I guess, you know, they do have a special place in society in terms of how they will uh, come into a healthcare system and how their needs could be split up uh, among many disciplines. Uh, and you can't just look at them within one, you know, individual specialty on its own. I think I want to um, push that point a little bit more about ring fencing, Dr. Terence, because uh, many people um, may, they want a slice of the pie as well. And there could be arguments, well, if you're going to ring fence for a certain group, um, I also want to ring fence for another um, need and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but if we look at how the needs of older people Uh, They don't exist in silo, in in isolation. Uh, They have an impact uh, on uh, our healthcare resources, on the system as a whole. I guess, you know, how would you make that argument that uh, this is something that is, um, you know, long overdue uh, and we cannot put it off anymore while we keep talking about ageing society and all of that? Yeah, it's not a very big cake. We're all hungry. (laughs) And, and, and we're all making our own arguments. And what we also don't want to end up is a situation where we're literally stealing from Peter to pay Paul, because uh, then that doesn't do anybody any good. And coming back to how I sort of started up this interview, I think in general, we need a bigger cake. There is no doubt that the cake has to get bigger. And that certainly has to be the first commitment uh, with any government. If they're serious about healthcare, then the cake has to get bigger. Now, uh, there have been reports that, you know, oh, compared to 2021 to 2022, the budget, uh, there was an increase in about just over 1% in terms of healthcare allocation. But if you think about the cost of uh, healthcare delivery, whether it's medicine, drugs, therapeutics, uh, tests, and then you throw in things like the cost of inflation, 
we're very much seeing not real-term increase in healthcare allocation. If any, we're seeing perhaps less of what we should be getting. So bigger kick, first thing to say. Second thing is we don't even have a slice within geriatric medicine, within older people. We, we have an empty plate. And if we are, again, serious and we want to invest in better healthcare to the group that needs it the most, that we already know are the biggest consumers, users of healthcare services, then we have got to acknowledge it. It is the elephant in the room. Now, this is where uh, stakeholders, myself, NGOs, so forth, we, we keep advocating for it. And at the same time, just like how we want to make sure that within, whether that be diabetes care or rehab medicine, that older people still feature within part of how they want to use the money they have been allocated by sleep. So that's just a big overview of how we can make the case for it. Bearing in mind, like I said, we have an empty plate and anything that can ring fence something for older people's care, I think that is a good place to start. And on that note of having a bigger plate and a bigger cake to begin with, um, before we go into any specific items on your wish list, can we also address then um, how do we fund that bigger cake? Uh, how do you see um, the budget being able to address healthcare financing, especially as we know that older people, along with having more health risks, are also vulnerable in terms of financing their healthcare needs because they're pensioners, they're dependent on public health sector, they're largely uninsured as well, I think. Mm. So this is perhaps one of the one of the bigger challenges that we face within our health service. And it is very sad when we see older people not being able to afford medicine that they need to live well, to manage their chronic illnesses. It is very sad to see when older people rationalize that, you know what? that 15,000 ringgit that I need to fix my broken hip, I'd rather perhaps leave it for my children because, you know, I am already, you know, they perceive themselves to be old and this is part of the natural process of life. When they have to make decisions like that, it becomes very sad. And many people aren't in any form of you know, insurance or social policy. Yes, we, we have the social services and the appropriate ones that are available through them and different NGOs, but it still falls short of some of the health needs that many of these older people require. I mean, cancer is a great example of where it's highly prevalent as we get older. The cost of treatment is astronomical. Okay, so how do we get more money? Um, perhaps that may also not be the only solution. I think we sort of touched on this earlier on. It's about how we try and ensure that as a nation, that as a country, as a society, we grow up in the healthiest way possible. Uh, it does always come back to that. And we talk about social determinants of health, that how we are born, how we live, how we grow, how work and how we age into later life, they are all interconnected. This whole life course approach. So if we have a healthier society, then 
well, perhaps potentially healthcare expenditure in data life would be better as well. And then the prevention stuff and so forth and health screening and, 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 and so forth. But assuming that in a way are where we are, in a life cost approaches, they're going to take decades to invest in for us to see any tangible benefit. What can we do now to raise finances? Gosh, perhaps this is where I hope that the Ministry of Finance would be able to offer some ideas in how you increase ex- you know, income tax revenue, generation of income, and so forth, because health and economics are very closely linked. If the government has limited funds uh, and we are struggling with um, accruing an appropriate GDP, then you know it would affect how much money we are going to get. So health, economics, and that's why the budget becomes very important because the budget would also detail strategies that the government are going to outline in terms of generating revenue and what we're going to use that revenue for in terms of the allocation. So um, I don't think I've answered your question per se, besides reinforcing that this is a major problem and it does require a big system approach to increase revenue, increase allocation to get that bigger piece of cake that we're talking about. When I was looking at previous budgets, um, you see tax exemptions being introduced here and there. Um, the 2021 budget had a tax exemption um, you know, for adult children who pay for their parents' medical fees. And uh, in 2021, it was increased uh, from 5,000 ringgit to 8,000 um, exemption. As individuals, we welcome these, of course, but... In that bigger picture, um, do you see, and, and from your observations uh, in a university hospital, do you see moves like this being able to meaningfully help individuals who are bringing their older parents for care and, and struggling with um, all the financial issues you know that they are grappling with? Yeah, I think you've certainly hit the nail on the head there because health and care have to coexist. Um, health and care are intertwined, they're interconnected. Uh, good health minimizes the need for care. Good care enables the maintenance of health. So anything that we can do, um, whether at a, at, a, at a local level or whether at a bigger national level, anything that we can do to support the delivery of good care will lead to good health. So an example that I can think of at the top of my head is how we manage, say, pressure sores, pressure injuries. And we know that that's related to, um, not to say how good or bad the care is, but the level of care that is able to be afforded to that particular older person. Okay, So they are closely related. So I actually would welcome anything from the government, whether it's in the form of tax exception, whether it is in the a one-off bantuan or anything that would help make care a lot easier. Now, uh, I saw a touch on about sort of one-off uh, payment schemes, uh, which we saw as part of last year's budget. And you know, I think it's a great start, but care is continuous. So if you have an older relative, say an older mother or an older father, who has got multiple needs, a one-off payment of a few hundred ringgit or even an annual tax exemption, which comes up to a few hundred ringgit or however much that might be, isn't going to be 
enough. It's a start, but I'm not sure that it is adequate. And when families have to make decisions about, can I afford a hospital bed or a special mattress to minimize pressure sores? Can I afford to not go to work because I have to stay at home and look after my mom and dad because I can't afford care? When these questions start to come into the picture, then, and maybe this is a big part of a bigger discussion and beyond budget allocation, but it's how as a society, we want to look after older people and whose responsibility is it? I would like to see something more concrete and who's a personal opinion. I would like to see something a bit more concrete to support carers look after their older relatives. Not one-off payments, not annual tax subsidies, but something that more or less comes in line with a, a, a national policy of some sort. So I feel like we've already started going into, um, you know, some specific areas where um, allocations can be made. Um, what would be on your wish list, Dr. Terence, for the upcoming budget? Gosh. Um, You're the I, Minister of Health. Oh, you get gosh. to you get to submit something to the Ministry of Finance. <laughs> I think we all have our own wish lists, and I'm sure if you ask another uh, clinician or another healthcare professional, they'll come up with their own list. And 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 so perhaps allow me to share with you my list. Maybe not for you know, the next twelve months, but for something I would like to see happen, being continuously invested. I think the first one perhaps has to be stronger primary care. Um, a lot of healthcare is still concentrated in secondary care in hospitals. And hospitals are not necessarily the most accessible for many older people. We do have to try and shift a lot of, uh, of the care that we deliver. Uh, for instance, a lot of the non-communicable disease management a lot of the medical complexity, medical morbidity management from secondary care into primary care. Okay, But it's not just about shifting care into primary care. Coverage has to be something we have to factor in. Um, I think we would all agree that there is still inequitable access with regards to accessing healthcare. Um, living in, say, you know, rural Sabah, the experience would perhaps be very different from living in urban Klang Valley. So, yep, stronger primary care, coverage, but also uh, timely capacity for timely follow-ups. And I think that's something that we mustn't forget. So no point building lots and lots of little clinics scattered across the country. But we need to be able to invest in primary care, that they have the resource to be able to see patients at the time they should be seen. If I filled up my entire clinic with people and the next available follow-up, for instance, for the diabetes check is 18 months away or however long that might be, then that's not going to do us any good. So coverage, timely follow-up, and not forgetting access to drugs and therapeutics, which are still locked within the domain of secondary care. So I think that's my first wish list, primary care strengthening. Secondly, as a very biased geriatrician, I cannot not say investment in hospital geriatric medicine services. The majority of hospitals do not have specialist geriatric medicine services. We know that they don't all live in Klang Valley. They don't all live in JB. They don't all live in Ipoh. Okay? So we do need to think about how we can invest 
develop and deliver hospital geriatric medicine services across the entire country. And that's where investment in infrastructure, space, facilities, equipment, and the appropriate staff, staff meaning doctors, and our very important allied health professionals. My third wish list, if you leave it, leave, give me the option, is something called intermediate care. So we talked a lot about primary care and we talked a lot about secondary care. There is a growing number of older people that sort of fall within the gap. What I mean is your diabetes perhaps just intermittently becomes slightly more difficult to manage in the clinic, in the community. But they're not sick enough that requires hospital admission. But to create intermediate care facilities where we may be able to provide step-up minor ailments or even step-down. So if you're from hospital, you're now more or less recovered from your illness, but maybe just not well enough to go straight home. And also knowing the pressures within primary care, they aren't be able to pick you up. So perhaps a step-up or step-down service where you bridge that gap between primary and secondary care can exist. And that's where maybe geriatricians would be best placed to help. Community geriatricians could be able to help fill that void and that role as well. Uh, and my last uh, wish list, it is a very long wish list and I've got a lot more on this list, but the one thing that I do feel we could do a lot better is rehabilitation services. Older people, once you've treated them from the acute illness, whether that be an infection in the urine, pneumonia or a heart attack, unlike a younger person, they aren't just going to more or less go back to their usual routine. Restoration of their well-being involves supporting them back on their feet again. Yes, you've treated the acute problem, but the rehabilitation, the re-enablement, the recovery that they need, there is a huge gap in that service. Where is that coming from? Where is it currently coming from? So we do have rehabilitation services within the public sector, uh, and we do have private rehabilitation services, but rehabilitation services are expensive. Okay, uh, And if you think about it, they stay there for a period of time. It involves specialist staff, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, dietitians, speech therapists, there are equipment that's required. So rehabilitation services in general do require a fair bit of infrastructure and resource funding. There aren't that many of them that exist, even within the Klang Valley. So many patients, we try and do what we can in hospital, but we can't keep them in indefinitely. A couple of days extra, perhaps here and there. But we know if we want them to achieve your rehabilitation potential, it does involve time, it does involve effort, and it does involve specialist services. And they require to be continuous in some patients. Yes, we may be able to bring them back to, say, our outpatient physiotherapy. At best, we might be able to do it once every month. But you and I would probably agree that that may not necessarily be adequate. So that's, in a nutshell, my current wish list. Uh, it is a there is actually a longer version of that. Perhaps we can save that for another day. <laughs> actually, rehabilitation, you know, makes me think of what's on my wish list as a very biased member of the community is the need for care in the community. Mm. And I don't mean just 
for the family. I mean the community as a whole, the services, the facilities like um, aged care facilities. You know, I think I see people really struggling um, once they're discharged, once their loved ones are discharged from a hospital, for instance, if um, if stroke um, was the condition. They're really struggling to, to connect the dots there. Like you said, rehabilitation services are a huge gap. But also where um, some sort of longer-term care facility is needed. Do you think, uh, is that something that um, already came in under your wish list? Or can I add something to your list as well in Tumpang? <laughs> <laughs> I think this can be a growing, growing, <laughs> evolving list. I think so. Because as, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. At the end of the day, every budget allocation, every way we spend money for health has to meet the needs of the person affected by it and the people looking after them. And you've very nicely highlighted from a very personal level where gaps are and where we do need those extra ringgit spent on. And yep, it can come under rehabilitation services. It can come under intermediate care. But we try and facilitate some of that you know, gap in terms of promoting recovery. Uh, because at the moment, the moment you leave, for many older people, the moment they leave hospital, it's like you've cut the cord. You're off on your own. Yes. Uh, and, and we hope for the best. We prepare caregivers. Certainly within the, 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 the hospital that I work in, we do caregiver training. We talk to them. We have long chats with them about what you need to do. But at the end of the day, it's a very different experience when you and your loved one go home and you start to realize, gosh, what next? Mm. What else do I need to do? And then trying to navigate what is and can be a complex, complicated system, yeah, can be an absolute nightmare. So you're not alone. And again, that again highlights so many things that we need. Funding, allocation, dare I say, ring fencing, older people's uh, requirements within the next healthcare budget, mm. national budget for healthcare. And you've said several times that um, some of these may not even be able to be addressed uh, in a one-year you know, budgeting document or that it may require a bigger conversation be- beyond just looking at a funding. So the Minister of Health, um, KJ's proposed white paper on health reform, Everyone is excited about it because this is an opportunity for longer-term reform, looking beyond uh, year-to-year allocations. What are you hoping to see in this reform paper that can address these gaps that we've uh, discussed? So I think I, I, along with many others in the healthcare profession, we certainly welcome this white paper on health reform. Certainly the What's come out in the media, what's been said by the minister has been very encouraging. It's a long overdue because the way we deliver healthcare for the last 60 years or so is no longer fit for purpose. So I'm not privy to the exact content of what will be in it or the levels of discussion that's going on uh, in terms of the white paper. But from what I've certainly read and what's been reported, the principles underpinning it 
completely agree with. It talks about uh, collective collaboration between different ministries and stakeholders. Because uh, we talk about social determinants of health, where good health involves aspects of financing, education, economic, social, because they all influence health and healthcare delivery. So anything that would foster, that would bring those, those collaborations between different ministries and stakeholders, yep, definitely all up for it. And then it talks about you know human resource development. and But the thing to bear in mind, because there was a lot of talk about permanent posts and doctors, but I think human resource, which is perhaps one of the things underpinning the white paper, is, is welcome. We know it's just doctors that has a recruitment or a retention crisis. It's the same with nurses, therapists, dentists, pharmacists. The entire health profession requires a relook at how we recruit, train, and certainly maintain them within existing public health service. Okay, so that's something welcome. And, and the third part, which, which talks about some sort of oversight in terms of health delivery, health policy, because I think this is really, really important. Uh, whether we like it or not, governments come and go, health ministers come and go, but the needs of the nation persist beyond any government administration. So some sort of oversight with regards to any reform is important, has to survive any change in administration. And even if there is some agreement and, and some bipartisan agreement in terms of how to push for the reform, I think having some oversight to provide the required check and balance in governance certainly welcome. So everything that's come up so far, yep, I, I, I think really exciting to hear what did they say? The proof is in the pudding. So I think we look forward to the details of what will be within the white paper. So yeah, exciting times. Mm. And, um, you know, we have referenced cakes, pies, now puddings. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just want to recap, you know, um, four main things on your wish list that uh, is by no means exhaustive. Um, stronger primary care, investment in geriatric medicine services, um, strengthening of uh, or, or some sort of intermediate care being provided for older adults, uh, and definitely a, a strong focus on rehabilitation services, all underpinned by that that idea that you need to address the social determinants of health. So, Dr. Terence, um, if the Ministry of Finance were to be listening to this, what is your message to them uh, to ensure that they think about older adults as they're going into planning this budget? Well, if I had the ear of the Minister of Finance, I think all I would say is engage stakeholders, engage relevant ministries, engage clinicians, engage users of the health service, and they will tell you where the need is and what is required. And then you will start to see where the gaps are and how allocation can be diverted to perhaps the most needy, and then you can work your way down. So engage, engage, engage. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Terence. I've been speaking to consultant geriatrician Dr. Terence Ong about how Budget 2023 can 
um, finally, hopefully, uh, put aside specific allocations for the needs of older adults. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. This BFM Budget 2023 special was brought to you by Marseille. Reinvent spaces. Enhance life. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.